Chapter Six of A Man of Honor by George Carey Eggleston. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Six. Mr. Pagebrook makes a good impression. Young Pagebrook was an early riser. Not that he was afflicted with one of those unfortunate consciences which make of early rising a penance by any means. He was not prejudiced against lying abed, nor bigoted about getting up. He quoted no adages on the subject, and was not illogical enough to believe that getting up early and yawning for an hour or two every morning would bring health, wisdom, or wealth to anybody. In short, he was an early riser, not on principle, but of necessity. Somehow his eyelids had a way of popping themselves open about sunrise or earlier, and his great brawny limbs could not be kept in bed long after this happened. He got up for precisely the same reason that most people lie abed, namely, because there was nothing else to do. On the morning after his arrival at Shirley, he awoke early and heard two things which attracted his attention. The first was a sound which puzzled him more than a little. It was a steady, monotonous scraping of a most unaccountable kind, somewhat like the sound of a carpenter's plane, and somewhat like that of a saw. Had it been out of doors, he would have thought nothing of it, but clearly it was in the house, and not only so, but in every part of the house except the bedrooms scrape 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 what it meant he could not guess as he lay there wondering about it he heard another sound greatly more musical at which he jumped out of bed and began dressing wondering at this sound too quite as much as at the other though he knew perfectly well that this was nothing more than a human voice miss sudie's to wit he wondered if there was ever such a voice before or ever would be again. Not that the young woman was singing, for she was doing nothing of the sort. She was merely giving some directions to the servants about household matters. But her voice was music, nevertheless, and Mr. Bob made up his mind to hear it to better advantage by going downstairs at once. Now I happen to know that this young woman's voice was in no way peculiar to herself. Every well-bred girl in Virginia has the same rich, full, soft tone, and they all say, as she did, gross, gloss, basket, carpet, cart, garden, and girl. But it so happened that Mr. Bob had never heard a Virginian girl talk before he met Miss Barksdale, and to him her rich German A's and the musical tones of her voice were peculiarly her own. Perhaps all these things would have impressed him differently if Cousin Sudie had been an ugly girl. I have no means of determining the point inasmuch as Cousin Sudie was certainly anything else than ugly. Mr. Robert made a hasty toilet and descended to the great hall, or passage as they call it in Virginia. As he did so, he discovered the origin of the scraping sound which had puzzled him, 
as it puzzles everybody else who hears it for the first time. Dry pine tags, which is Virginian for the needles of the pine, were scattered all over the floors, and several Negro women were busy polishing the hard white planks by rubbing them with an indescribable implement made of a section of log, a dozen of corn husks, shucks the Virginians called them, a corn husk in Virginia signifying a cob always, and a pole for handle. "'Good morning, Cousin Robert. You're up soon,' said the little woman, coming out of the dining room and putting a soft, warm little hand in his great palm. Now to young Pagebrook this was a totally new use of the word soon, and I dare say he would have been greatly interested in it but for the fact that the trim little woman who stood there, key basket in hand, interested him more. "'You've caught me in the midst of my housekeeping, but never mind. Only be careful, or you'll slip on the pine tags. They're as slippery as glass.' "'And is that the reason they are scattered on the floor?' "'Yes, we polish with them. Up north you wax your floors instead, don't you?' "'Yes, for balls and the like, I believe. But commonly we have carpets.' "'What? In summertime, too?' "'Oh, yes, certainly. Why not?' "'Why, they're so warm.' We take ours up soon in the spring, and never put them down again until fall. This time Mr. Robert observed the queer use of the word soon, but said nothing about it. He said instead, "'What a lovely morning it is! How I should like to ride horseback in this air!' "'Would you let me ride with you?' asked the little maiden. "'Such a question, Cousin Sudie!' Now, I am free to confess that this last remark was unworthy, Mr. Pagebrook. If not ungrammatical, it is at least of questionable construction, and so not at all like Mr. Pagebrook's usage. But the demoralizing effect of Miss Sudie Barksdale's society did not stop here by any means, as we shall see in due time. "'If you'd really like to ride, I'll have the horses brought.' said the little lady. "'And you with me?' "'Yes, if I may.' "'I shall be more than happy.' "'Dick, run up to the barn and tell Uncle Polidor to saddle Patty for me and Greybeard for your Master Robert. Do you hear? Excuse me, Cousin Robert, and I'll put on my habit.' Ten minutes later the pair reined in their horses on the top of a little hill to look at the sunrise. The morning was just cool enough to be thoroughly pleasant, and the exhilaration which comes of nothing else so surely as of rapid riding began to tell upon the spirits of both. Cousin Sudie was a good rider and a graceful one, and she knew it. Robert's riding hitherto had been done, for the most part, in cities and on smooth roads, but he held his horse with a firm hand and controlled him perforce of a strong will, which, with great personal fearlessness 
and a habit of doing well whatever he undertook to do at all, and undertaking whatever was expected of him, abundantly supplied the lack he had of experience in the rougher riding of Virginia on the less perfectly trained horses in use there. He was a stalwart fellow, with shapely limbs and perfect ease of movement, so that on horseback he was a very agreeable young gentleman to look at, a fact of which Miss Sudie speedily became conscious. Her rides were chiefly without a cavalier, as they were usually taken early in the morning before her cousin Billy thought of getting up. And naturally enough, she enjoyed the presence of so agreeable a young gentleman as Mr. Robb certainly was, and her enjoyment of his company, she being a woman, was not diminished in the least by the discovery that to his intellectual and social accomplishments, which were very genuine, there were added a handsome face, a comely person, and a manly enthusiasm for outdoor exercise. When he pulled some wild flowers which grew by the roadside without dismounting, a trick he had picked up somewhere, she wondered at the ease and grace with which it was done. When he added to the flowers a little cluster of purple berries from a wild vine, of which I do not know the name, and a sprig of sumac, still wet with dew, she admired his taste. And when he gallantly asked leave to twine the whole into her hair, for her hat had come off, as good-looking young women's hats always do on such occasions, she thought him just nice. It is really astonishing how rapidly acquaintanceships form under favorable circumstances. These two young people were shy, both of them, and on the preceding day had hardly spoken to each other at all. When they mounted their horses that morning they were almost strangers, and they might have remained only half-acquaintances for a week or a fortnight, but for that morning's ride. They were gone an hour, perhaps, in all, and when they sat down to breakfast they were on terms of easy familiarity and genuine friendship. End of chapter 6